everybody. Welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G. We are here with Mike Polito of Map Construction. We're going to talk about building things from the ground up, both business-wise and actual structure-wise. Uh, we're going to listen about his journey within his career and his company that's been around for, I hate to say, longer than I've actually been alive. That's pretty scary. Uh, but before <laughs> we do that, I want to give a big shout out to the wonderful people that make this show possible each and every week we come to you. That is Falaya Real Estate. We're in their Falaya Focus podcast studio. Um, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, Government Taco, Horizon Financial Group, Mallard Bay Outdoors, and Currency Bank. Stay tuned to hear a little bit more about them at the end of the show. And without further ado, Mike, First welcome, of all, that's man. a pretty impressive list of sponsors. Congratulations. I know, right? Yeah, Thank it really you. is. Thank you. I know um, we're very thankful for each and every one of those wonderful people that make us the ability to sit in this chair and have this interview with you. Yeah, so, great. but. For those that don't know who you are, Mike, who are you? Well, I, I jokingly say I'm just a dumb old contractor. So, <laughs> I mean, I, so I guess that's really what, what I am. So that's who I am. Um, but, you know, I'm a dad, husband, and a contractor, I guess, at the end of the day. That's what I do. I like that. So what is, what is MAP? You know, I mean, MAP is... Um, you know, it's hard to explain to what MAP is or what I believe MAP is. I mean, obviously, we're, you know, what we do is we build buildings. Um, uh, but what we try to, you know, what we try to do is is uh, be a, a good partner um, and a good steward of the industry. I mean, you know, it's important to me that the industry improves and has improved ever since I got involved. It's really it's really one of the reasons I started the company was to to see if we couldn't build a better mousetrap in a, in an industry that is relatively um, constrained with regards to improvement. So, right. So, what do you mean by constrained? Well, yeah. If you look at if you look at the construction industry, um, and if you you know compared to other industries, it's the least disrupted in the last. 20 years. I think there's actually a, a graphic that I saw maybe three or four years ago that agriculture and construction were the last two um, that haven't been disrupted completely by technology and, and whatnot. And while it's been improved, it, it you know, the robots aren't building buildings yet. And it's going to be a while. Things. They are. They are. But um, and, and, and it's, but it's going to take a while. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, I saw a, a robot that was laying brick. I, I can remember a meeting I was in with a peer group and our consultant told us all that, you know, the world was going to change in the next five years in construction and, and, uh, get on or get off. We all kind of laughed at him and, and, and we were right. Um, and not to say that it hasn't changed, but, uh, it's a it's a ways away before you really see that disruptive change. It's it's certainly much better. We were talking earlier about the the enhancements and the technology and how it has been. It's more expedient, more efficient, but we're still a very um, low production, uh, low efficiency, low low productivity um, industry. We just are because we're not building the same thing over and over again and in the same place. So right, even if it is. You know, like we were talking about some companies that have model sites that you build over and over again, right. 
there's still some variables that come into play, whether it's dirt work, whether it's, you know, the foundation's different, the climate's sure. different, maybe the, the city has different requirements for what can be exposed and what can be exposed. So you still have differences throughout that nothing is going to be exactly the same Very as site A versus site B. That's correct. And you have different trade partners, and it's just different. And so the, the, um, we're, a, we're, that we're an industry that, that uh, is not a highly productive industry. Um, we could be better, and, we're, and the industry is improving, and different techniques to, to do that. But uh, so, yeah, that's what we, you know, that's what we try to do. I like it. And then there, there are, I mean, some tools that have advanced, right? No question. You know, we, we were talking beforehand about the, the ability to estimate jobs yes. and how that cost has dropped significantly through the use of Google Maps, no drone question. technology. But again, like you said, it's not disrupting no. the entire industry. It's not just yet. making you all a little bit more efficient Much in better. one step. Yeah, you, you know, the, the, the 3D modeling, the BIM um, uh, technology, the drone technology, uh, all of that is has just taken us light years. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, the decision to maybe price a project that's a, a seven-hour drive or a plane ride away. Maybe you didn't look at it 15 years ago, where now it's it's much easier to look at with the technology. Somebody that's in the area can go by and do a, a scan. Um, you know, some of that sort of – the information technology has been very – good for the industry you know with uh, you know we, we we talk about turning data into wisdom it, and so in decision making um it has helped and and i think that's where the industry has improved now so so where things are getting most rapidly changing uh and it's still not rapid so i mean i don't want to mislead you um but with bim and with that all of that technology that we're talking about 3d prefabrication becomes more of a reality. And so on certain projects, you can use the prefabrication, whether it's duct work. Like when we did the University Medical Center down in New Orleans, we prefabricated most all of the, the corridor trunk lines uh, um, of duct work and, and electrical conduit. So it, it, it expedited. It was less expensive. We prefabbed the bathrooms and the patient rooms. So that's where I think the, the, the biggest lick on repetitive construction, can you can you can get some things done that way. So what it, what is BIM for those that aren't aware? Building information modeling. Okay. And, and so what that is is the architects, of course, used to draw it by hand. <clears throat> then they started drawing in CAD, which was computer drawing, and now they actually draw in three D. All of that was you know one dimensional. Now it's three dimensional, and so they can draw it in three D. We can see it in 3D when we price it. And more importantly, when you get those files, you can, you can actually start coordinating things to make sure that there's not going to be some of the disruptions to certain projects. You know, it's very hard to coordinate a mechanical layout with an electrical layout with a structural layout. We used to do it when I got started before you were born, by the way. That, <laughs> I really appreciate you, that dig. But we would have a light board just tell you how far it's come. And you would take the sepias, the drawings, and you would, or the drawings themselves, you would overlay them with the light that would then tell you where the conflicts were. Where where were you going to, the duct going to hit the conduit? Um, and so now you do that 3D. And so we have a VDC guy, virtual design and construction guy, that takes that model, 
adds in more detail, adds our, our, you know, the duck work where it's going to be and we coordinate things. And so it does, it does help with the efficiency. So now you're not having to take that duck work down, send it back to the shop, rebuild it, bring it back uh, because it's going to be right when it gets there. Right. And you're able to use that technology for the better instead of where some companies may say, oh, we've been doing this way for so many years. Right. No. How can we use what's available to best suit your needs? I mean, it's like you said, it's saving time and saving money, which ultimately keeps the projects on budget and on time. That's correct. And, uh, you know, that's how we make money is by by building them on time. That's really how we make money. Yeah, my dad's a, a civil engineer, so I remember okay. those papers he used to overlay yeah. for bridge designs and everything. Sure. Watching him do all that was—it's incredible to see how it's come. And I'm sure, from like a recruiting standpoint, y'all have probably changed who you're looking for a little bit. You're looking for people with more of a technical background, maybe in some information systems, you know, you know degree programs. We have actually three um, technology guys, and, and I'm not sure what the heck they do, to be honest with you, but. <laughs> But and all kidding aside, we have one one guy who does nothing but virtual design and construction. That's his job. It's the BIM deal, and so he works with our construction teams mostly and our pre-construction teams. Very technical, very construction driven. Then we have a uh, what I call the hardware guy, but that's the you know the guy that keeps all the hardware rocking and rolling. And then we have an information guy who kind of um, creates our dashboards and takes that information and, and, and so that we can use it more in, in decision-making. So, yeah, we have three. You know, I can tell you 30 years ago, I never thought we would have have um, uh, three uh, technology guys in the organization. And, yes, their degrees are all, um, you know, out of that information technology place. Yeah, I mean, it's opening up their avenues as well. Instead of going to a data heavy company well now every company is data heavy that's correct you know you you have to be in order to know what you're doing i mean you're working on projects across the country that you got to be able to know where they're all at what stage they're all at then if there's an issue you got to handle it back here and say like you said send them someone out there to fly you've got to be able to adapt and and you know grow in every single facet where you're at yeah, the data, you know, we use it a lot. Um, and, you know, across our, in every one of our offices, we have dashboards, TVs up on the walls that are, that are, that are telling project managers uh, if they're ahead or behind. Or um, it's a little bit of peer pressure. You know, this, you know, 10 projects up there, who's in the green, who's in the yellow, who's in the red on certain types of things. Um, and and it, it works. You know, everybody wants to be in the green. And, but it's, it, the important thing is to try to make sure that they're, they understand the information so that they can, they can then use it. Um, information's great. Uh, sometimes the information that's in the system's not right, but to, but again, yeah. it's going to show up as red, so then they can correct it. You know, if they need to, if they didn't put it in right. So yeah, it's great stuff. It's helped um, in a lot of ways. It's um, it's made it more. Um, you know, I go, go back to 30, 35 years ago. It was easier. Um, it took longer maybe to build, but it was a little easier. There wasn't so much in your face and the processes and the systems weren't, um, you know, from a, just from a nuanced standpoint, it's just easy, simpler times, I guess you'd say it. I, hate right. to I, was, that about, I was about to say, what do you, what do you mean by easier? simpler? It was, you know, the architects used to come on the job site. We, there's a, there's a thing in our industry called the request for information, RFI. When I first started, we didn't have RFIs. 
because the RFI process was the architect came to the job site once a week, walked the job with the um, with the superintendent and redlined the drawings where he had questions. The superintendent would say, I need this, I need this. He would redline them, and we would do it. Well, now, um, with technology and with maybe maybe it's attorneys, I don't know what got us started <laughs> on the RFI process, yeah. but but now because it's easy to communicate between offices, we send an RFI to, and it's industry standard, it's not just MAP, um, and so the architect then sitting in his office, and he can be 100 miles from the job site, but it may take him longer to answer the question. But so now you got to track these RFIs, and, and as a project manager, it's more uh, than what I had to do as a project manager. So don't tell them that. But um, but the reality is it is. It's more, and so we end up with more people managing per project than we you know than we would normally have had you know like if I was running eight projects or six projects back when I was your age um, you couldn't do that today you so know? I mean what what kind has been the big shift in that has it just been technology or I mean like what 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 kind has led to that big shift going from like you said one well, person doing eight to now you need eight people on eight well I go back to the technology but the the you know it's a lot is driven by owners um, in the sense that uh, on the architectural side, um, over the years, and, you know, and again, 30 years, but owners and developers, have, you know, they've, they've driven competitively fees down for architects. And so they can't make as many job sites, visits. And, and so, but, and, but because of technology, maybe they don't have to. And so... Um, you know, because now they, they can see it from their, from their, um, from their office. But the reality is it does take, um, a little bit of the simplicity out of it when you have to document everything in an RFI, as opposed to picking up the phone, Hey, can you go out there tomorrow and check with the architect, check with the, um, superintendent. So it's a little bit, um, you know, I'm glad I'm not a project manager anymore, I guess is what I'm saying. It, it, it's a... It's a very, um, it's a lot of paperwork. Right. Well, and then you run into stuff in the field that may not be on the paperwork or designs. Every architectural drawing's perfect, so we never have that problem. It's <laughs> a tip of the hat to all the architects out there. No, yeah, no, that happens. Sure, the, the, look, the, nobody's perfect. There's not the perfect contractor. There's not the perfect architect. There's not the perfect structural engineer. There are going to be changes. Uh, it's, you know, and, and we're blessed to generally work with clients that understand that and, and, and architects that understand that we're not going to be perfect. And we want to, we, we want to help the architects when they're not perfect. And that's when you really have a good project team, when everybody realizes that construction is not an industry of perfection. Um, their tolerances and everything, and it's in the code, it's in the, it's in the specifications, their tolerances and everything. There is nothing that is perfect. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I was joking with a client um, a couple of weeks ago. They were on the phone asking me about a certain project because now they can see it on cameras too, right? Yeah. Oh. And so, uh, well, you know, what's going on with this project? I said, you know, sometimes y'all need to turn the cameras off and let us make the sausage without you seeing it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, the more eyes, the better. It's all good. But it is true. I mean, we're not. Uh, it, it it can be it can be messy at times. So yeah, I mean, and maybe a step that you're doing is not 
fully understood by the client and they don't really know every step that goes into it. So when you're doing something, they start asking, why, why in the <laughs> world are you doing this? Our clients are very well informed. They very much know everything about everything that we do. They're good. So, um, we don't have that client you're talking about. No, we, no, you know, we have them. They're sure, there's, and, and they, they're not supposed to. It's not their business, right? So if we're building a theater. They know how to show movies, you know. Mm -hmm. They know how to pop popcorn. And uh, uh, and so, yeah. But, but usually most clients have a construction professional that does understand it, that represents them. And, and uh, so I, they really are fairly knowledgeable. But by the same token, it... it, it um, it's not going to always go right. And, and most right. of them understand that as long as you're responsive. And I think that's a key to one of the keys to our success is, you know, one of the differentiators that we try to do, and I'm not, you know, trying to do a sales pitch here, but we're, we're, we, we really want to focus on client intimacy and being the most um, responsive uh, to the client that of any contractor in any market we're in. And, and, and sometimes that's hard, but, it, but I think we, we've, we've been pretty successful at it and we like to continue to get it better at it. Yeah, and I think that that plays a role in a lot of industries is that education of the client along the way. I mean, within the accounting world, especially right right now, it's tax tax time, right? And so sitting down with potential new clients, going over their previous years and their current year, and you start talking to them and you start walking them through how that sausage is made to an effect that's understandable by everybody, they're able to see, oh, this makes a lot more sense. So that education in turn can sometimes help the, with their understanding no and their realization of, oh, it's not as easy as I thought. But it's know? not it's not any different like when you call up and say, okay, you owe $20,000. I need to check tomorrow so we can turn this in. It's kind of like when we call up and say, ooh, <laughs> this isn't quite going right and it's going to cost you another $20,000 to do this. So we have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'm sure like, you know, there's there some clients that are saying, yep, we expected it. Yeah. It's, it's all good. We yeah. understand. Then there's those other clients that say, mm, maybe you need to go rerun the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a, a really good friend years and years ago. Um, you know, we were talking about taxes, and I was complaining about taxes, and he looked at me and he said, Mike, it's good to pay taxes. And I said, I was thinking I was going to get this ideologue comment about, you know, paying the government. He goes, because it means you're making money. <laughs> so I said, okay, I like that. So, yeah, it's good to pay taxes. Yeah, and so we've actually got a, a comment has actually come in from a viewer. They're saying, do you have any advice for staffing firms that want to work with contractors as a solution partner? Oh, I think that um, that's from know, that's Ryan a, Nelson. That's a great business to be in uh, right now. I was just at a meeting literally with, with, um, with one of our um, uh, business units um, who's looking at, you know, doing a lot of work across the country. Um, and they have a, you know, they've got a lot of projects to staff. And so as opposed to working with trade partners, looking at doing it ourselves and, and finding the staffing companies around the country that can staff. So to do I have a, um, a recommendation, you know, to vet the people you send us? I mean, the, the, uh, that, that's really what I would say is, you know, in our business, we need good, we need just about everything. Um, the, the industry is is way down on uh, people. Young people are not coming into the industry, so we're we're doing all we can to promote the industry. But that would be what I'd say: is just vet the people we're sending. And if you can't send them a, a good, you know, a, a reasonable person for what we're looking for, don't send. Just say you can't make it. But um, 
you know, other than that, just get in front of the contractors. Uh, um, I'm happy to introduce anybody to the company that, you know, if, if, that if they want to be introduced, just, uh, catch me on LinkedIn or whatever, message me and I'll be happy to, um, introduce you to whoever makes those decisions at our company. Yeah. LinkedIn's effective with Mike. I can attest yep, to that. It is. I, I like LinkedIn. I mean, it, it's, a, um, it's a good platform. Yeah, it's a, it's a great platform to connect with business-minded individuals that are in that frame of mind, right? Yeah. You know they're not on there trying to, you know, post about their dogs or right. their cats exactly. or their food. Yeah. They're, they're in that mindset of business operations, business yeah. procedures, that it's easy to get into a conversation with them just through a social network. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think that uh, I do think LinkedIn is, you know, it's a great network for us to find people um, and uh, – and, 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 and make an initial introduction to a client, um, and work over time, but, but, uh, and see if they're interested in, without being too pesky, I guess. Is the word. So yeah, I like it. It's professional. Um, and, and I even, you know, I like it when somebody posts something that maybe isn't business oriented and boy, they, <laughs> I catch and you, you see, off guard. Well, they see everybody that you have comment. This is not, LinkedIn appropriate. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. It's self-policing. So yeah, yeah it is. So have, have y'all used like LinkedIn or Handshake for y'all staffing needs? Like, have you found those good to be good tools? I'm not familiar with Handshake. Okay. Um, LinkedIn, I use religiously for searching for, for, for people. Um, I wish our company, a lot of our managers should use it more uh, um, because I think it is without question. Look, we use recruiters um, at times and, uh, but we, we, we try not to, if we don't have to. And I have a pretty extensive network on LinkedIn um, just over the years. And, you know, I can find people easy through that process. Now it takes time. You have to, you know, where I learned that was, uh, again, I'm, I'm a member of a peer group, and and uh, one of the peer group, we were in New York for a meeting with the, their offices in New York, and uh, he brought in one of his managers and said, what do you, you know, we talked about what he did during the, you know, what was his normal day and normal week, and he he spends 30 minutes a day on LinkedIn searching for talent. Now he's not a recruiter for the company. I mean, he's a manager of project 30 minutes a day on LinkedIn and he schedules a coffee twice a week with just somebody, whether he's looking for a superintendent or a project manager or not. Now that is commitment to recruiting, which is, you know, war for talent out there is, is real. So I try to spend, I don't do the two coffees, but I do try to spend a good 15, 20 minutes a day just searching for somebody that we may want to look at over time, even if we're not looking for that position. And it's been great. We've had some great folks that have come our way because of it. And and those that you're able to find on there that have put the time and effort in are the ones you want right. on your team because yep. they know how valuable, valuable of a tool it really is. Yeah. That's right. They're trying to. Well, first of all, they they have a good um, anybody that's on it that is uh, active on it is interested in branding themselves, 
and I think that's important. Uh, you know, one of the things, one of our um, core values is being different, and um, and I, it's I describe that from a corporate standpoint, but from an individual standpoint, everybody needs to brand themselves and. And uh, in, in, inside of our organization is what do you do differently that makes you who you are and why people want to work with you? And, and so LinkedIn is, a, is telling me that, well, this person wants to get out there and brand themselves a little bit. doesn't have to be, you know, like, you know, Instagram or... Hey, you, don't, you don't have to be yeah, all yeah, over yeah, the place. Yeah, you're not looking everything. for an NIL deal. But, right, right. but I mean, it's, it, you just it tells me that you're interested in um, building some relationships, finding new people and branding yourself a little bit. So it's, it's great. Um, I found great talent on LinkedIn. And one of the first things we do, I do when somebody comes to me, you know, a manager says, Hey, I'm looking at talking to this person. First thing I do is go to LinkedIn and, and and, do they have a presence? Do they have a presence? What do they do? What have they said? Um, are they interested in trying to build their persona up? Well, and that's as as of late, the social media world, from a hiring perspective, has come more and more important because recruiters or even talent managers are looking at their profiles. What are they posting? What are they talking about? You know, I saw today that college football coaches are not accepting people on the team based on some of their posting history. Yep. And looking at, hmm, we're not we're not moving Smart. forward with this recruiter yeah. with this recruit because yeah. of what they're posting. It's great. And you have to, as an individual, be aware of what you're posting. You can't if you if you want to post whatever you want and that's your personal brand Knock and that's how you off. identify it and like yeah. that's what you're after, then yeah. by all means go for it. Just know from a recruiting standpoint, from an opportunity standpoint, it may turn some people off and total not even take that coffee with you in the morning. Because they were able to see, it's a Mike's posting thing. some shady yeah. stuff. That's you know, right. we really don't want to sit down with Mike. That's a hundred percent right. It goes both ways. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, we're doing the due diligence um, in the same way, right? Um, very rarely are we, you know, hiring somebody without looking at Facebook, seeing if they're on there, and are they uh, QAnon supporters or are they, you know, little middle of the road. Uh, so yeah, you know you got to be careful with because you don't want somebody coming into your into your brand or into your culture and uh, and then you know a you may have to get rid of them because they they um, they're not what you're looking for and then once they're on your team um, you know we're pretty we're pretty liberal about you know you post whatever the heck you want we're not going to police that by any means we've never had a situation where we've had to, to to go, oh my gosh, so and so posted, but not to say that so and so didn't. But we we don't watch it after. We're not like Big Brother, but we certainly you want to do your due diligence before we hire. And I would expect the same out of somebody before they come to Map. You know, they they're gonna look at Map's website. They're gonna look at they're gonna look at me. It's, maybe, it's your or portfolio. It's yeah, your public portfolio. Yeah, they're gonna look at whoever's hiring them in the company. Look at their LinkedIn. Maybe even look at their Facebook. Um, I hope they don't look at my Facebook. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's like what what jobs is Matt bidding? What jobs are is Matt getting and working on? Yeah. Are they posting about their jobs? Sure. What is their experience? And now it's at the point of when I'm going to hire somebody. What is their experience? 
can they show their experience? Yeah. Do they show their experience? If I'm looking at an intern or a hire for the show, I'm looking at, you know, what's your track record? Have you been on, are you on social media? Can you edit videos? Can you send me some of your work? Yeah. Can you show me a landing page that has some of your work? Definitely. It's almost expected beyond a website that can be kind of difficult to maintain up to date all the time. Whereas social media, I can post a picture. You can go to a job site today, take a picture, post it. You're up to date. Yep. You know, your website, there's a whole different back end that's got to happen yeah. to get that up to date. Yep. Yeah, I do. I think that, uh, you know, and I'm relatively active in spurts on LinkedIn posting and hopefully I'm doing it right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's pretty casual for me. I just kind of, but I, but I think what, what I do try to do is promote our teammates, our players and, uh, let them, you know, get a little exposure. Uh, I've been told, oh, you don't want to do that because now people are going to steal your players and your mappies. And I, I, I've always looked at it as it's our responsibility to keep mappies happy. And, 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 and if, if somebody, competitor walks in the door and they, if, if we're keeping them happy, they're not going to leave. And, and so I don't care about that. A lot of people don't promote their talent because they know people are watching recruiters and uh you know i've seen some corporations even just give the first name and i'm like you know i, I didn't know why they did that and I, I i asked i asked my wife who's pretty astute in marketing she's our head of marketing and she explained to me it's because they don't want their people people to know their names i'm like well isn't that what people want? Yeah, people you want, want to, to you be, want to work with that yeah, person. Well, you want to be promoted. I mean, I, I, if you're project manager and you're doing good, and somebody promotes you on LinkedIn, they kind of feel good about that, right? I would, you know. So, um, I wouldn't want to be called Mike. <laughs> yeah. This okay. is this is Mike. Everybody, Mike's doing a great job. Thanks, yeah. appreciate. Out of, out of a, yeah. a company with you know several hundred people, you probably have a one or one or two mics. It might be a few on team. Yeah, but uh, no, and I, and I shouldn't criticize other people how they do their business. But but I, I think it's important on LinkedIn to give the people that are actually doing doing the work uh, credit as much as I can. So yeah, and like to. like you said, it's the employer's responsibility to make the work environment one in which those people don't want to leave. Because you said it much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> you know, it's 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 inviting to stay at a workplace because you know what you know, and you know you know that the the devil you know is always better than the devil in the closet, right? Yeah, that's and right. so, going to a new place of work, you may have no idea what you're walking into. They may the incentivize you with great benefits, a ping pong table, and all this. We have one pay. in Dallas. Well, see, look, there you go. That's we got the ping pong table. That's your attraction. Yeah, right that's there. why we get them. <laughs> but for those that are already in the job they're in, if so long as they're happy and in a good mental state and well taken care of and they know that their employer takes care of them and wants to take care of them, then all those offers are just going to get, you know, fall to the wayside because they're happy where they're at. Now, but if you've got employees that are yeah. not so happy and they're you say, move. why don't we try to solve this by promoting them and that's your solution to the problem, then they're going to walk as soon as somebody yeah. calls. Or them. money. It's not going to work for long. No, you, yeah, you gotta uh, you gotta have a culture. I agree with that, and we're not perfect at it, but we we try hard. And uh, so, what what are some things y'all do to kind of help build culture? Wow, you know, I, we 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 focus heavily on our belief system, 
I think that's important. Um, our, you know, what are, why are we, why do we exist and what are our core values? Make sure that everybody understands them, which tells them how to behave, right? This is what we expect with regards to behavior. I think that's key to creating a culture because now everybody's on the same page. Now, after that, I think you have to be really flexible and you have to let, I think it all comes down. We, we have a, one of our five core values is having fun. And, uh, you know, when I tell people about it, I tell them if you want to have a fun culture or a good culture, you have to work at it. And that sounds counterintuitive, right? That you, that you would want to have a having, you want to have fun, but you got to work at it, but you do you, you, and and, and I, I tell them having fun is not just, well, let's go out and, you know, have happy hour after and maybe, and, which is perfectly cool. Um, but it's, it's really about building relationships at the office and at the job site with your clients. And that's when you will have fun, when your workplace becomes really integral to your life and it's important to you and, and you know the people that are you're working with. Right. And it, so having fun for us is building relationships. And that's what it really comes down to. You got to work at it. You can't come into the office, sit at your desk, say hi to somebody in the lunchroom. You got to get around. Yeah. And so we have to be flexible as managers to give people that time. It's not, um, you know, we're not a, I don't know if I can say this, but hard ass. You can say, um, whatever, you can say whatever you good. want. I like that. But, you know, we're not, we're not standing over people's shoulders you got to get your work done. You got to be accountable, uh, but it's got to be a flexible environment that people can, you know, that if I walk through the lunchroom and somebody's playing ping pong, that they don't think that I'm upset about that. Right. You they know? don't think that you're hovering over their shoulder. Yeah. Oh wait, Mike's Mike's yeah. in there. Put the paddles yeah. down. Go yeah. go back to work. You so know, every once in a while, I got to play ping pong, <laughs> which is not a pretty sight. I'm sure you're getting better at it. Never, no, never. never well, I think it goes into to team building, you know, and showing your company and your employees that you really care about them. You know, one of our one of our sponsors, Mallard Bay Outdoors, they focus a lot on corporate guided hunts. You know, when people take out clients, they take out customers, they also take out employees yeah. on those group building exercises that some of these outfitters will put you in with 30 people. They'll do exercises and a whole team building experience. Cool. And then you go and enjoy a hunt yeah. and stuff like that within companies can help build that culture because then you're starting to see them outside of the office, right? right? You're starting to see them outside right. of the workplace. You're not seeing Mike in a suit and tie 24 seven. Yep. You're starting to see him maybe in some, some shorts and a t-shirt and playing, you know, tennis in the backyard or something. And it's, it, it gets you out of that ordinary business mind frame and yeah. you put them in boxes. Like I'm sure if your employees, you know, maybe, maybe some employees see Mike as like the boss, Yeah, but then, that happy hour allows them to see Mike as, you know, the comrade. And then you start getting further and further away from the office, building that relationship. Now it's Mike's my friend. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's a, you know, we do um, fun days, we call them fun days. And so I think every other month or something like that, uh, each office uh, will do a fun day. And, it, you know, we've done things from obstacle courses to kickball to top golf to, whatever, you know, and, and, or just go meet for happy hour. So uh, those are important. Uh, and the, and we do focus on that. So there's one of the things that we do, uh, to make sure, you know, that that's intentional. Um, but I find that it's the unintended, the unplanned, 
um, when you know you got things working well, when you get, when you when you see people getting together and going to lunch together, yes, or going just hey, who wants to go to happy hour? You know, back in the early days, we used to have a margarita day, Ooh, where that there like was a just it was just a group of. Um, the accounting department would walk around and on Friday and say it's Margarita Friday, and they would collect money and go buy a bunch of or why, maybe it's Daiquiri why, Friday. Why is, it, why is it always us, the CPAs and the accountants? Why do we always get the the, the rep for being the alcoholics? Well, in that's, the what, that's they, I know the ones, we are, but they're I mean, the ones still. that organize all the fun, right? They got the money. <laughs> so, <laughs> we know what we can spend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, but yeah, just stuff like that, and you, that's when you kind of, at least for me. You can you kind of feel good about that the the, the culture's good um, is when people are are getting along and so you can also tell when there's some some uh, problems when that's not happening you can see it um, and you can uh, you have to adjust it you got to figure it out and you got to um, sometimes you have to remove uh, certain elements to get that culture back yeah I mean if you see people showing up right on time when work starts and leaving right as soon as they're done, then you know they're just here to punch in and punch out. Are they really here for the camaraderie of the team yeah. that makes up the organization? Yeah, it's about, you know, you can sense it, you, you know, when I, at least I think you can, um, or at least you should be able to. You can feel it when things are not. And look, culture in all every organization, I mean, we've been doing this for 30 years. It, it's we have great culture at times, and then we can sense things slowing down. We do surveys uh, routinely of our people so that we can try to catch it. Uh, but uh, you can sense it. Um, but the surveys help. You know, they're confidential, so people are honest. You can you can kind of find out you got a little bit of a problem here or there, and you you, you want to work on it. And it goes back to for us and something that we just started about a year and a half ago. Just really focusing in on our core values and making sure everybody on, cause we've grown, you know, from 130, 140 people, I think we're to 200 people just in the last two years. And that's, that's a stress on your culture cause you're bringing in a lot of new people. Uh, so how do you, how do you welcome them on the team, but then how do you get them to buy into that culture? So it's been, it's been fun doing, uh, so far, I think we're doing pretty good at it, and uh, you're yeah. still adding team members. So, we're still or adding ma- team where you call them mappies? We do. So, yeah. what's 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 the uh, what's the story behind? I mappies? have no idea. Uh, no, I just I think to be honest with you, I think just one day on LinkedIn, I posted here's some mappies, or I can't remember <laughs> it, it was, and it just stuck. And um, you know, we not terribly long ago, maybe eight or nine years ago. Uh, we maybe it was maybe it's less than that. Um, we started talking about happy mappies and uh, being a big part of success, and I think it came, that's how it came to be. Something in that range. It wasn't. It wasn't any um, great story, unfortunately. Well, but I think that in and of itself is a proof of the culture that something so just not yeah. a big deal has stuck around and become a big deal. Yeah, that's true. That goes back to your your organic conversation of something that happens organically is way better than something that you've had to force onto your team. So right. like that, yeah. whatever it was, whether it was something yeah, small and everybody says, oh, that's great, we love it. Yeah. The fact that you're 
team members were able to look at it and catch that and say, that is really cool. Let's make it a part of our culture. Yeah. And they had the desire to do that. That's outside of their scope of work. Yep, that's, you know, right. that's outside of their responsibility. Right. And they have taken to it. And, and uh, I don't know if anybody's offended by it. I hope not. But uh, yeah, so it's... it's, it's add, add the question on the survey. Are you offended by the term yeah, happy? Really. Yeah, really. Are you... That's right. That's a good question. No, but, uh, no, I, you know, look, whether they like it or not, that's what, that's what they are. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, but no, that, it is a good point and, and they have taken to it and, uh, we got a good group of people. So. That's awesome. So how did, how did all this get started? So I, I saw on your LinkedIn, you were with, I think a handful of other companies for like seven and a half years. I think that's about right. This is the rough math. Yeah. Um, before you started MAP. So rewinding the clock a little bit, how did you get to the point where you decided to start something on your own? Well, I didn't decide to start on my own. I was fortunate. Um, I was at a, uh, an awards event. I was working for a company um, in New Orleans. I was living in Baton Rouge, and, we, and there was an awards event, uh, a project that, that I was a uh, um, leader of, um, won an award at ABC. It was at Drusilla. The The banquet was at Drusilla Seafood, I think. <laughs> and uh, my team, you know, went up and, and, and accepted the award. I just kind of hung back. And because um, I really, I didn't do a whole lot on the job other than bark. And, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, Lane Grigsby, uh, who's a well-known um, successful contractor uh, in town walked up and just started talking to me and said he'd heard you know, a little bit about me and blah, blah, blah. And we talked for a little while and uh, the event was ending. And so uh, I just said, uh, we're going to after party at um, the patio lounge. I don't know if you know the patio lounge, but that, that's the one right off of Jefferson. Right, right? off of Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've heard, it's a I great. It's a great. I've heard some dive really. Bar. Yeah. Back in the day, they had a guy who was the bartender with the must, uh, handlebar mustache, and he made the best Bloody Mary in town. Allegedly, I never. I'm not a Bloody Mary guy, but so I said, I'm taking the team to the patio lounge for drinks. Why don't you and your wife join us? Uh, you know, we can continue the conversation. I didn't think he would ever show up, right? But they, they came, and I sat at the bar and. Six beers later, we were in business, and that's really how it got started. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to run a company. Um, I didn't necessarily think I would run my own company, but, uh, you know. We're here. Yeah, well, here we are, and that's how we got started. Literally, one week later, we were signing papers, and, you know, another after I, after I resigned, another 30 days later, we were getting after it may 9th 1991 may 9th 1991 that was 1991 the, 91 yeah. that, and that was the the first day the company was able to conduct business after y'all's non-compete or whatever's no i didn't i didn't have a non-compete um uh back in the day that i don't even know if that was in louisiana how far that would go but but um you know i wasn't that much of a big shot that they were worried about me competing with them. So, so uh, they, but they didn't have non-competes back then, at least not to my knowledge. But we don't do non-competes either, by the way. Um, again, it goes back to that. If you're not happy here, we'd rather you go somewhere else. And if you want to compete with us, tee it up and let's go. So we don't do non-competes. 
And uh, but anyway, back. So that yeah, my ninth, nineteen ninety one, was the first day we actually um, went to work. Tried to start getting some work. And so did did y'all seek after new potential clients, or were y'all calling on the old clients you'd already done business no, with? No, you know, I, I we we um. We opened in Baton Rouge, and even though I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, you know, everything I'd ever done was in Atlanta, North Carolina, or New Orleans. And so the Baton Rouge market didn't know who the heck I was. Um, and so uh, to build the business, we started doing public work, public bids, because you could, if you're low, you got the job. You just had to be able to bond it. And Lane was able to help me get the bonding. So... So that was really the the recipe to get started, and then to build a build enough of a reputation that the private sector would take notice, and that's how it worked. We we spent the first year or two um, mostly in the public sector. Associated Grocers gave us an opportunity, uh, which was our first private client. Um, we built their truck maintenance facility. It's still there. It's still maintaining trucks. Still standing. Um, the building standing, still standing still there. Um, <laughs> And uh, that was kind of the first private sector role. And then, uh, you know, uh, we were fortunate enough that uh, interesting story is, uh, you know, when I was in college, um, there was a gentleman by the name of Richard Setliff who ran Tudor Construction here in town and built all the swaggered work and everything. They were the big shots in Baton Rouge. So when I was in college, I was trying to get a job with him, right? So I pursued him pretty heavy. And then... Um, Decided to move away. He didn't really have anything. And the, the market in Louisiana in, in 84 was pretty slow. I moved to Atlanta um, and uh, got a job there and worked there. And I stayed in touch with him. Always like, when can I come? I want, you know, when I eventually come home, I want to come work for you. And uh, because they were kind of the fast forward construction company in Baton Rouge. They weren't the good old boys. And uh, stayed in touch with him. And then ended up starting this business and a couple of years in he called me and he said hey I think I hear you're doing well how about if I come join your company he was he had been he had moved to New Orleans and was running a company down in New Orleans and was tired of, of uh, shuttling back and forth and uh, so Richard you know came on board in 93 and it was a big difference maker it immediately um, credentialed our company and people in Baton Rouge started taking notice and, uh, you know, we started getting big work and it was, um, and then we started executing it and kind of that, that, those were the, you know, two, you know, it's all about people, right? So Lane Grigsby, Richard Setliff, uh, shortly after that, Mark Lahey comes on board. And, uh, shortly after that, a fellow by the name of Pat Hernser in Dallas came on board and, and that's, you know, we're not here today if it wasn't for those three or four people. Um, I, I, it's always about a leap of faith, right? They took a leap of faith in our business and, uh, clients take a leap of faith, um, big clients. When we got the Catfish Town project, we were in, you know, 93 or 94, we had no business getting it from what we had built, but, uh, but Richard's resume, my resume and our superintendent's resume and, and the fact that we were pretty aggressive and I think they just liked us and we got Catfish Town, you know, that was a big job. Uh, for a bunch of three or four year old bunch, company, yeah, a bun bunch of new hot shots, new hot trying, shots, trying to change the game, change the game, yeah. So anyway, that that's how we got started, and and after that, it just continued to build. 
Yeah, I mean, it just snowballed after those first few jobs, and then you're able to yeah. do what y'all are doing now. I mean, you're in all different industries yeah. everywhere. I mean, across the country. Yeah, we're we are we we work uh, we work from uh, Philadelphia to Chicago to we just finished a project in Colorado. We're in Florida building car washes and um, getting ready to, to start a bunch of big projects. A couple of nice big projects in Dallas. You know, we've been in Dallas now twenty five years. Uh, we're opening new markets, so yeah, we're 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 having fun. We've we've always stayed true to being diverse and not focusing on one particular industry. So, how are you able to manage? throughout all of the people around the country, all these different projects? I mean, what tools have you been put in place to manage everywhere with all the different projects? Well, again, technology is, is a big key to that. Uh, you know, and, and just good old-fashioned flying to the job sites. But, um, you know, I wouldn't say there's anything special about it. Um that makes that happen. It is easier because of the technology and keep up with the project. It really just takes good people. At the end of the day, you have to have a great superintendent on that project site that you trust. That's where people really, that's where projects fail is when you can't, you know, somebody's not trustworthy. I mean, but you got to, to send somebody to Philadelphia and entrust a great client they've got to be trustworthy. So they have to yeah. improve themselves. So it's really all about people. Um, great projects are done by great people. Uh, poor projects are usually done because the people were um, distracted or, you know, it's not because they're poor people, but it's, they're distracted or they're not focused or they're going through something in their life where they can't um, perform as well. And so that's, that's the hard part. It's people. So it's not robots. Um, we've got we've got a comment coming in from the live viewers about Palace or Palace Theater. Yeah, apparently there was a video going back. Oh wow! In the day where you had promised him it'd be open for the viewing of Jurassic Park. Well, um, that's a great story. Um, you know, I, thank we, you, uh, Ryan Nelson, for the comment. Uh, Ryan is he's, he's all over the he's, he's all over the place. He's about it. Yeah. He's my plant. No, I'm just <laughs> the um, the uh, Palace Theater. Um, we again, we were, we were making some noise, and we were building the Cinemark Theater here in town over on Segan Lane. But at the same time, we were uh, doing some very small projects, uh, alfalfa video stores across the state, uh, small projects uh, for a great client, um, and. He, we were in the bid room getting ready to bid the Baton Rouge Clinic, the building over there on uh, Perkins Road. Yep. We were bidding that again. And it, it was a big opportunity for us because it was a healthcare, you know, and, and Lady of the Lake was involved. And um, I think it was a Washer Hill job. I don't know, but the, maybe it was Bainey, I mean, a Bradley Blooster job. But anyway, big architect firm. So we were really focused on. But anyway, I got a, I got a, uh, a project manager walks in. We're in the bid room. It's 15 minutes till bid time. It's hectic. Um, and he says, uh, Mike, George is on the phone. And George is the alfalfa video guy, George Solomon. And uh, and I'm going, oh, man, what do I do? I, I, you know, I said, no, give me, give me the phone. 
because I want you know he 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 wanted to talk to me, so I wasn't going to say no. So I got to get George on the phone and I said, George, what you do? And he says, Mike, we're, you know my dad, uh, T. G. Solomon, um, who actually the theater that was here they built and sold twice uh, the United Artists Theater that was over on the corner at Bon Marche. Yep. On whatever street that is. The over. Baton Rouge Theater now? You know, I don't know what it is now, but um, I don't even know if it's still there. But the, but it's a, not not the little theater, the the movie theater. Oh, but anyway, okay. they may have torn it down by now. But anyway, the, but anyway, the Solomon family, great family, but big movie family. So movie theater family. And he says his dad wants to get back in the theater business. And uh, and was I interested in building a 20-screen theater for him in New Orleans? I said, you bet you we can bring us in. So that's the Palace Theater in in Elmwood. And uh, that was, they they needed to be open for Jurassic Park. That was the big deal. It was a 20-screen theater, and it was a monster of a schedule. And Richard Setliff and a fellow by the name of Bob Lipscomb, who didn't work with us much longer after that, but those two and a fellow by the name of Phil Foray, who was the superintendent on the project? Those three people pulled off a miracle, and I, I, it was a great opening party. I mean, it was they had the, the, they they did it right, and it was a lot of fun. But yeah, we did. We promised. So y'all, y'all made it happen. We made it happen when we opened for Jurassic Park uh, in '96 or whatever that was. So, but uh, yeah, was that it was 96? good. '96. Whenever it was, it was. I think like, we I started it in '96. We may have been. But yeah, that was great. It was I think we built that thing in like ten months, and and uh, yeah, it was a nice project. So so from that, did you get a lot of people saying, "Hey, you built the Jurassic, you built the theater. We want to we want to work with you." We have built um, for the Solomon family and for George Solomon in particular. We've built fifteen to twenty theaters over the years, and we've remodeled them all. And uh, you know the the. George, that we did the palaces for them. They sold that. Then they started Southern Theaters. We built all of those. Uh, then they they sold that to a private equity firm or part of it. I don't know all the financial dealings. Um, and we're still doing business with that private equity firm uh, and with the Southern Theater Group um, out of New Orleans now. And we're renovating a uh, theater for them in. El Paso, Texas, right now. So we we are heavy in the theater business. Cinemark, um, um, AMC, we do them all. You know, all over the southeast. Uh, we don't. We haven't done any of those really much further out than the southeast. Gotcha. I mean, that's that used to be like a big, big business with theaters, and then COVID two years ago, everybody yeah. experienced a little bit of a shift in that. You know, it's interesting though that in that market. Um, our, our uh, like I said, we started renovating again about, it shut down, but we started renovating some of their theaters about, I don't know, 10, 12 months ago, and and we see a little bit of life in that market. I, um, you know, AMC and Cinemark, Cinemark's building a couple of new theaters. We're not building them, but uh, they're starting to um, see life in that market again, and I, I think uh, it's... They think they still got a viable business, and uh, all 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 signs are that they do. Uh, I think it'll get. I think it'll get back. I think yeah. people still love that experience. activity, that yeah. experience, and that's. I mean, coming out of COVID, I mean, how many businesses are looking at what can they change from an experiential standpoint? 
How can I make the experience better? Because that's what people are after now. Mm -hmm. You know, convenience and accessibility has all kind of been bridged over the last two years of what can be done from a business standpoint. And now it's how can we give the best possible experience to not only our employees and our team members, but also our customers and our clients. What can we do to make them want to come to us instead of going to somebody else? And then there's no question that's, that's, you know, I mentioned it earlier, you know, we look at client intimacy as the, as what we do better than anybody else. And it's what we strive to do better than anybody else all the time. And because that, that's the difference is, uh, you know, the guy I worked for in um, North Carolina, uh, Bob Street, uh, McDevitt Street was the name of the company. It was all about the experience for him. You know, it was, you know, and he, he would, you know, when he would preach, you know, you know or, or speak to everybody, it was, he, it was never anything about just the experience you create for your client. And, and it's a difference maker. And in, a, in an industry where making sausage is sometimes ugly, it's how you inform your client about making that sausage mm-hmm. that they are they're They want to know that you care and right. uh, we do a good job of it and uh, we can do a better job of it. And we're going to keep trying, but, but I do, I, everybody's looking to try and figure out how to do that. And so in some cases in our industry, it's technologies. Just some of that is just being able to inform them quicker, faster, give them the look where they don't have to go to the job site where they can see it on a camera or, or shoot a link to them of your, of your job walk. It's so it's nice to be able to stay in touch with them that way. So. Yeah. I mean, that's with all industries across the board. I mean, within the banking industry here in Baton Rouge, currency bank opening up and being the, the business bankers and those partners to build those relationships and be that connection that people need out of a banker is why, you know, Scott and the team got started with currency yeah. is to be that bridge, that relationship that we're here if you need us. And we're in whatever form you want to get to us. Mobile app, in person, you know, drive through, whatever it is, we're here for you. And we're going to be with you every step of the way. That's just where business has to shift to. You've got to shift to those relationships, that consumer, that client facing experience, and make sure your team gets a similar experience that's going to keep them around. So they don't get poached when you promote them on social media and everything. You're 100% right. So kind of as we get towards the end of the show, we have a set list of questions we like to ask our guests. Okay. Four Great. questions, very hard-hitting questions. Okay. The first one being, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? Dress up as Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, which would you dress up as, Batman or Robin? I was Robin. You're a Robin? Why did yeah. you pick Robin? I don't know that I picked it. I think the guy that I was... Dressing up with probably picked Batman. Um, yeah, we, you know, guy lived across the street. But we dressed up as Batman and Robin all the time, go outside and play. So yeah, maybe that. Go run through the creek without a care in the world, and um, those were fun days. So yeah, anything like that, just carefree something where carefree running through the creek. Yeah, carefree running through the creek. I think if we if we put a if we did like a Photoshop of your face on somebody running through the creek and circulate it to your employees, what, what they, kind of, what kind of, what kind of uh, message they would, would they be it. seeing? Yeah. Those are fun days. Yeah. Go look for frogs or whatever it was. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I used, I did all, that was my high school and my, my middle school through high school. That's what we did. It was going down to the river, going down to the creek and, mm-hmm. you know, 
just being outdoors and like you said not a, not a care I'm not sure what all was in that creek whether we should have been in there or not but you didn't think about we that. were though you never thought about Sounds that fun. we would we'd jump off a platform yeah. that was 30 feet in the air with four feet of water yeah. I mean, you didn't ever thought about what the consequences were you would just how was the best way i can get in this water and not break my legs yeah so I'd what i'd probably rather do batman and robin then it's safer yeah safer. <laughs> so what are uh three lessons you've learned along the way you've been in this industry a long time you've done everything from working for somebody to owning your own thing and you know just adapting to change i'm sure there's lots of lessons packed in there but if you had to pick three what would they be wow um surround yourself with great people and, I, and i'm not sure there really is anything else um at the end of the day surround yourself with great people um that's where it starts the uh you know, you, you got to get lucky a little bit, but if you surround yourself with great talent, you'll get lucky. I just feel that way. It, it, that has been the biggest key to our success. I mentioned, the, you know, the, those three or four people. Well, now it's three or four other people, right, that are, you know, that are leading the company, um, uh, you know, whether it's Bradley Tossan who just got um, promoted to executive vice president or whether it's um, – you know, Brant Granger is our CFO, or whether it's uh, Matt Miguez, the superintendent up on the Philadelphia job. And, you know, those are, that's really what it's about is surrounding yourself with great people. So that's number one. Um, I don't, be willing to take risks. I mean, I think that's probably as important as anything. Uh, if, you, if you're not taking a risk, you're not going to I, I just don't see how, you know, I mean, the, in our business, we take risks every day, obviously, but um, it's a risky business. But if you're not willing to take a risk uh, on something you, you're not perfectly comfortable with, you're probably not growing. You know, and there's that old saying about not growing as a person. But in the business world, um, you have to be willing to take a risk every once in a while. Um, and, and I think the, the third thing that I – I, I, and it goes back to the client relationship is we, everybody that comes in to work for MAP reads a book called Getting Naked. Um, and it's, uh, it's a consulting, uh, the fellow's name that wrote it is Patrick Lencioni, who I'm a big uh, fan of. And but what it's about is getting naked with your client in uh, exposing yourself, being willing to, to be at risk and being willing to show that you trust them that, and, and, it, and it comes back in spades to you. And in our business, that's, that's hard at time because being at risk could be a lot of money. Um, you, you know, is, 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 are you willing to, to step out for the client um, and trust that they're going to take care of you to keep things rolling? And so it's a, that, I think that would be the third piece is, and if you, you know, but if you hire great people and you surround yourself with great people and then you trust those people, you're going to do pretty well. And because and those people are the ones that are going to give you the confidence to take the risk. Right. So that kind of works together. Uh, and uh, because if you trust, you know, this is something I, you know, I, I do believe and we talk about it. Something I said long ago was that I do believe in people. I, I believe people are inherently good. And so you should trust them until they prove you otherwise. And I think, I think fundamentally it's been very rare over 30 years 
that I have that I've been able would, would say, "Wow, that person is just not a good person." Yeah, everybody goes through their times, and you work through that. But um, so I fundamentally believe in people, and so at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. I love that. I mean, that's truer words have never been spoken than well, I don't know about trusting that, the people. Hey, I, I mean, you got to trust your yeah. your people make up your business. Without that's, them, that's there's gives no you company. the confidence to risk, and you got to take risks to grow. And you know, when COVID hit. You know, that was kind of like, whoa, what are we going to do? Well, we we decided we were going to go into new markets and and take advantage of the opportunity to grow. Um, you can't do that unless you trust your people that you surround yourself with. So it may have been a bit different decision. Yeah. So what is something you love about Baton Rouge? I love everything about Baton Rouge. Um, I'm a Baton Rouge guy. Um I love everything about Baton Rouge. I think that, you know, when I was growing up in Baton Rouge, you know, my dad was big in the Jerry Lewis MD telethon or whatever it was. And Jay Darden did with a co-host numerous times or whatever he did. He ran it. I don't know what he did, but he was very involved in it. And what I can always remember growing up in Baton Rouge is that Baton Rouge is the most giving city around now obviously i hadn't been exposed to every other city and maybe every city is like that but but it seemed like baton rouge was always the gave the most at the labor day telethon are they you know it just was a very giving city i think it still is um i think it's going through some tough times um and uh, and we need and we need to figure out how to change that and get it back on track in so many ways but it, it and it comes back down to the people. People are very giving and they're fun and and uh, I enjoy all the people in this community and it's very giving. Go to any fundraiser and raising a lot of money for a small town like this, uh, and uh, so it's great. LSU football ain't bad either, you know. <laughs> LSU basketball and yeah. LSU baseball, I love them all. So that's always fun. So uh, but we got a lot to be proud of. Uh, what I don't like about Baton Rouge is I think we put ourselves down too often. And uh, and so, you know, um, back when Saban came, he was all about excellence. And I think it gave everybody a little bit of a, ah, we can, we can be excellent, Saban and em- Emmert. And I think now, you know, because people look to LSU athletics, and they do, and they look to LSU academics, we need to look at there more. But right now with Coach Kelly um, and Scott Woodward, and um, and President Tate, I think we have the same kind of leadership that we can look to for excellence, and uh, and so I th- I see good things, but we gotta we gotta start complimenting ourselves, and we gotta we gotta find some solutions to some of our problems. Right, I I agree absolutely. So but I love the, Baton Rouge. Yeah, it's hometown. It's a nice place, and yeah. the people that make up Baton Rouge they're good people, just great people. They really are, and. Uh, um, as a general rule, we all get along, you know, so yeah, it's a good place. So for the final question, what can I do to help you? Man, you gave me some help. I got some pub today, right? You know, <laughs> a little publicity. No, you know, um, I don't know that, you know, just, just be, just be good. Get out there and help Baton Rouge. I'll do what I can. Yeah. That's go, what this, this show Baton is based Rouge. around is showing yep. off people in Baton Rouge and the great business leaders that are here and, all the people that they're a part of and included yeah. and just kind of giving the community a bit of a bit of a pump up. You know? That's it. Well, that's what we need. Well, keep I'll, doing it. 
I'll keep doing it. Then, it's a Mike. good place. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. I appreciate yeah. your time today. Anytime. Love the stories learned and the lessons talked about. So thank you, everybody else, whether you're watching this or you're listening to us. I appreciate it. I know the guests do as well. Y'all make this show possible, and y'all make you know the ability for us to get Baton Rouge out there and talk about it all the more better. And just we're going to keep doing what we're doing. So thank y'all so very much for tuning in to this latest episode of the Patty G Show. I'm your host here with Mike Polito of Map Construction, and y'all have a good one. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. So you're home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. At Horizon Financial Group, we enjoy helping others achieve greater confidence, clarity, and direction in their lives. We realize everyone's path to financial success is unique. Sometimes you just need a friendly guide along the way. Whether it's customized financial planning, individual wealth management, or servicing your company's retirement plan, we've got the team with the experience to help you reach your goals. Horizon Financial Group, helping you provide, protect, and prosper for those counting on you. Visit us at horizonfg.com. Cetera Advisors, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Cetera is a separate entity. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear how they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life, shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you are looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology, they are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners. Thank you so very much to Mallard Bay Outdoors, the Airbnb for the outdoor sportsmen. If you're looking to book a hunt or a fishing trip, this is the platform to use. They were a past guest of the Patty G Show. We got to learn all about what they're doing from the ground up. They are really revolutionizing the booking process for hunts and fish 
all across the country. For your next hunting or fishing experience, or maybe your corporate retreat, you're looking for something to do for your employees, book a hunt or a fishing trip with Mallard Bay Outdoors, and they will take care of you every step of the way from organizing it with the guides and the captains to making sure you can take care of them at the end of the trip. Mallard Bay Outdoors, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. Yeah.